Thank you for being with us today. We would love to have you join us in person. To partner with us or to give online, go to www.upperroomohio.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Come on, how are you? So did Nicole mention about filling the truck? Did Nicole mention that? So I'm not going to put him on the spot or make him talk because uh, I told him I wouldn't do that. But Matt, could you at least just stand and give a wave? This is Matt Brewer. Um, just, we're honored that he's part of Upper Room. He's one of the Upper Roomies. And uh, I've, I've been honored to get to know him for about the last uh, year and a half or so. But he, he was awakened with a dream Tuesday morning uh, to, to fill semi-trucks for Texas. So it was just a God moment. And I don't know if you saw it on 2 News or was it Channel 2 News, I believe, that ran a story Tuesday evening um, that, that featured that. It's been going through Facebook. But Tip City at the corner of 4th and Main Street, they've been filling semi-trucks to send down to Texas. And already, just, just the resources are flooding in. They've already raised $15,000. Um, just today, there was a breakthrough late yesterday. It was like at the midnight hour, they needed a third semi-trailer because the first two were full. And at the midnight hour, it just got delivered today. So there's an empty truck waiting to be filled. So uh, we, we tried to get it out on our Facebook page, so some of you brought it in. If you put it out here, we'll make sure it gets to the truck. Or if you missed it, uh, take it to the truck this week. But we feel this is going to be going. I asked him this morning, is this going to stop once you fill a certain amount of trucks, or is this going to go in as the need continues? And he says, as of right now, he feels this need will go, including maybe Christmas filling up a truck just with Christmas toys. Just, just to bless these families. So, um, so pretty soon you may end up seeing one of the semi-trailers here in our parking lot and uh, we'll be part of, because um, I don't know how long the city's gonna allow it to be on the side of the street there. Um, so we may be in a location that houses one of the trucks. So anyway, uh, first off, I'm just amazed that, um, that God awakens people in a dream to come up with a vision to help people. Like God knows, his grace is so good. He says his, his grace is, is sufficient for all needs. So then that he uses an ordinary man, and, and Matt's so humble, he uses an ordinary man to do extraordinary things. But then that a community of believers, unbelievers, business people, just, just people in our communities to fill these things up, to go radically, within a few days, fill up two full semi-trucks. Within the first couple hours, they had 5,000 water bottles donated like that. So, so anyways, it's just really good. So if you want to be a part of that, be a part of that. Um, but I wanted to recognize him and just thank him for all of your hard work this week. He sent me a picture yesterday. He was actually driving a forklift, uh, which is probably a little bit outside his skill set with his uh, music degree and financial background that uh, driving a forklift may not be in that skill set, but you're able to learn when you need to get things done. So, so anyway, just really, really cool. But let's, let's partner with that. Let's fill the trucks for Texas and just, just bless them. Let's bless the socks off of them. All right, so I'm going to speak today on transition. And um, our house has been in transition the last couple months. Um, I think it's been about a month now, um, I believe, is when we mailed 
about eight little pacifiers to my other niece and um, got rid of Hadassah's pacifiers. So we've been in transition, and uh, it has been kind of a complicated one. She went cold turkey. She, she's, she's had to go through some withdrawals and a little bit of rehab, uh, but she went through quitting pacifiers cold turkey. She's, she's just muscled her way through this. So first night, we're like, she just goes to sleep. I think it was a Sunday night, and she just goes to sleep, and we're like, what? What just happened? And then all of a sudden, you know, it was 8 o'clock. She's out drooling, like, you know, baby out of her hand and everything kind of sleep. She's just out. We're like, that was incredibly easy. And then at 11 p.m., the alarm clock starts going off called Hadassah crying. Ah, mommy, where my pussy? You know, one of those. So we've been in transition the last couple of weeks through that. Uh, but anyway, this week, I, I go to get on my couch, and I'm like, um, I had a blanket, and, or I was sitting on the couch with the girls, and I touched this blanket, and I think Nicole was in a meeting here with the worship team leaders, and um, so I'm like, who spilled something on the blanket? And uh, then, then we find out. She's like, I did. I said, well, what'd you spill on a blanket? I'm thinking, what do I need to clean up? You know, did she accidentally potty? What happened here? She's like, oh, I, I didn't spill it. I was sucking on it. So we've been in transition. She's just going around sucking on baby's arms, on their fists. She's been slobbering on her hands, sucking on blankets. So we've been in transition. So today I'm going to speak on transition and, uh, and talk about this. Because here's, here's what I feel in all seriousness. I feel that there's so many of us that are in transition. So many of us that are, that are walking through transition, in the midst of transition, just came through or going through transition. And, and I feel that as a church as well, as a community, as a nation, I feel we're in this transition. And, and, and here's the beautiful thing about transition is it absolutely sucks to go through it. But there's beauty on the other side. So, so here's, here's what's interesting is labor, child labor. I, I've never um, been through child labor, but I've witnessed it to, to be able to thank Jesus a minimum of four times that I'm not a woman. So... So I've, I've been a part of a, uh, nine births as a paramedic. Four were my own children. And, uh, and, and nine times I thank Jesus that I'm not a female. So at least, at least. It, it comes more often than that, though. But I'm like, I, I, I've witnessed it, and I see the pain. I see the misery. I felt the hand squeeze. I've been yelled at. I've almost passed out. Our first child, Nicole's mom, comes in. She's like, um, Aaron, you... You should probably go get something to eat. She said, I was white as a ghost. And uh, we had already been in, well, I say we. <laughs> like, I'm taking some form of credit. We had already been in labor for like 30 hours. And uh, I hadn't eaten yet. So Chloe decided to take 40 hours of active working labor to come out of Nicole. Um, but that's what happens when your first child is 10 pounds and 2 ounces. So anyway, so when you see Nicole up here like dancing, yeah, she's a woman real woman, a woman's woman. So, no. So anyway, this birth, well, well, here's the part of transition. It is, labor and delivery is divided into three phases. So phase one is, is actually the child coming into the birth canal, the cervix opening up, and then that's divided into three stages. Um, so you have pre-active and then transition. Transition is where the cervix goes from four to about seven centimeters. And then what happens is that is the shortest transition stage out of everything in labor is one of the shortest, but it is the most painful part of labor. 
It is the, the most painful. It's, it's called working labor. It's, it's the transition, so, so the head's coming down. And then what happens is that, that after that happens, it's go time. Now it's time to push the baby. So you're going through this, what they call its transition stage, is the most painful, hardest thing to get through. But then all of a sudden, they bring mirrors, and they, they have the mothers feel the head and feel the hair. And then all of a sudden, you get a vision that gives pain that purpose. Then what happens is you, you push that baby out, and, and like Lave always says, big baby, big push. So, so you, you birth that baby, and then all of a sudden, it, it goes from this traumatic, crazy, just high intensity, high pain, high yell, just crazy atmosphere, to now there's life, and there's beauty, and there's peace. It's this, it's this crazy moment in life, and if you've not experienced it, um, hopefully you get the opportunity to do that someday. But if you've not experienced that, then all of a sudden, all the misery, all the pain, all the hardship that it took to get to that part, nine months of preparation for this moment of pain, it's because God knew it was going to take nine months for us to prepare for these little crying, pooping, screaming, eating little, little things that depend on us. I had to mentally get ready for nine months. I was the nester, by the way. I was like cleaning everything, painting everything. Nicole was just chill. I was, I was like freaking out. So anyway, you, you get through that painful transition, you're holding this baby, and all of a sudden, nothing they do can be wrong. Nothing they don't do is wrong. Everything is right. And you wouldn't trade that for anything. You would never go back and say, no, that pain wasn't worth it. Because all of a sudden, you have this being in your hands, in your arms, on your chest that, that, that absolutely does nothing to deserve love, but has now all of your love and affection. And it's such a picture of the Father's love. It's such a picture of the Father's heart that you've done nothing to deserve his love. You've done absolutely nothing to earn it. But guess what? He loves you and all of his love and affection is just poured out on you in your mess, in your tragedy, in your pain. So here's what's happening. You're holding that beautiful baby and every bit of what you just went through is totally worth it. And you do it again three more times for us. You would do it again, and then you look back months later, and you can't even remember the pain. You, 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 God has this beautiful gift inside us with trauma and tragedy that a lot of times we can't even remember those pains. Because all of a sudden, everything that we worked for, everything that happened, is totally worth it. So I believe some of us, we're, we're in this process of transition where we're straddling this fence, but in the midst of that, it looks terrible. In the midst of that, it's painful. And, and I just feel like we've seen so much things happen in transition. And, and, and I just, today, my heart in this is that, first off, like, that we see so many people get sidetracked or, or miss their calling or miss the opportunities that God has for them because of transitions in their life. We see some big ones of, of, of young people. Nicole and I were the youth pastors here seven years before we were the senior leaders. And, and we see young people fall in love. And they put everything into that one basket. And, and all of a sudden, they isolate themselves. And no longer does it matter if they're leading that small group anymore or, or meeting for coffee for this young person anymore or doing anything else. All of a sudden, the only thing that matters is the loved one in their life. Because they're in love. Birds are singing. Right? Things are whistling. Hearts are just popping in my head. Nothing else matters. I'm in love. So it's the transition of life. We, we see it with new jobs. We see it graduating high school. We, we've seen people struggle with transition, going from a different job or a promotion within their job. 
or now what happens after college, or now when you get married, all of a sudden our life is thrown out of whack and we're, we're off kilter, or a baby, or a second baby, or a third baby. It's hard. And I'm not here to say it shouldn't be hard or that it's not hard or, or that you just didn't do it right. No, there's a reason the Bible even says take a year off and take care of your wife your first year of marriage. There's a reason in the Old Testament there was an emphasis on that because it is hard. You have to work through that transition. But, but what I'm saying is we've seen people not be able to negotiate through transition because all of a sudden we get distracted. And I feel the enemy uses busyness and distractions and these, these transitions in our life to take us off track so that he actually steals, kills, and destroys the destiny that's over our life. But see, John 10.10, 10, the best part of that scripture says that, but Jesus came to give life and what? Life abundantly. So he brings clarity into the process. Jesus brings clarity. Jesus brings breakthrough where there was a, a brokenness or a breakdown. So here in the midst of this transition, you, you, somewhere between brokenness and somewhere between a, what might look like a breakdown is this thing called transition that's actually in the process of us getting to our breakthrough. Somewhere in the midst of this, we, 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 we look at the this, this seasons of life, we look at these things and these changes going on, and somewhere in the midst of all of this, somewhere from, from, from conceiving to giving birth is this thing called transition of actually going through the pain to birth the process. So somewhere in our life, somewhere between brokenness and somewhere between what looks like a breakdown or terror or terrible things or transitions, there's this thing called transition, and, and we can't skip over it. All of a sudden, if we skip over it, we actually do ourselves poorly to get to our breakthrough. We looked at every time Joseph went to the pit or went to the prison, all of a sudden, it was actually strengthening him to rule and reign from the palace. Let me just touch up on my theology a little bit here and, and, and let you in on what I feel. I don't feel that God sends a Harvey to Houston to clean things up. I don't feel that God sends a Katrina to New Orleans to take care of a sinful city. I, I don't feel that's the heart of a father. I don't feel it's the heart of a father to destroy things and, and mess up people's lives and destroy their, their families and their homes and kill people so that he can make a point. That's not what a loving father does. I believe that the enemy has used different differences and discriminations and divisions in our country to, to try to divide us as a nation. And I believe this was just another tactic to hit us while we were kind of down. Here we are grumbling and fighting over racial divisions. Here we are with the police circumstances and atmosphere of that. Here we are with, with gender and, and, and preference, sexual preferences dividing our nation. And now suddenly Harvey comes and it was like a, a blow to the gut. I don't believe that's God. I believe the enemy is trying to kill, steal, and destroy. I don't believe that's God. But here's the beautiful thing about God. In Genesis 50, 20, it basically says what the enemy means for destruction, God will use for good. So, so here we, we are in the process of brokenness. Here we, we, as a nation, we're experiencing division. You're seeing the, the political division. You're seeing the attacks from the media and the politics. You're seeing it in racial divisions. You're seeing all these crazy things the last several months in our nation. And now suddenly, here's what happens. Harvey hits a key part, the fourth largest city in our nation, a portal for, for a lot of goodness going on in our nation. And here's, here's what I feel on that. I feel this is the transition. This is the tipping point. This is what's going to turn us from brokenness and breakdown to breakthrough. Amen. 
Because here's what happens now. Every media station, every news station is now turning to what God is doing through this. What is happening with unity? What is happening with seeing white men hug black men who are just saving them? Here's what is happening. So now all of a sudden what the enemy meant for destruction, God is using good through a transitional moment. And here's what happens in our lives. We, we go through and we, we are ready to give up. We're ready. We, don't, we can't even think straight. We can't show up to work on time. We can't, we can't focus because we've never learned how to actually get through transition properly. Here's the deal. Nicole and I dropped the ball of teaching young people how to actually fall in love with a spouse and not lose focus on who God is in that process. So what happened is, in many circumstances, is they'd fall in love and realize, and, and not realize that they were actually creating a Messiah for themselves on earth rather than keeping Abba as Messiah. But listen, there's this transitional moments, and we've seen people leave the church. We've seen people lose chaos and, and all these things in their life because, because through the transition, they lost focus of who God really was. Listen, your spouse can't be your Messiah, your house can't be your Messiah. Your, your car, your, your job, your promotion can't be your Messiah. And in these transitional moments, then what happens is if you lose your job, it doesn't matter. Why? Because my focus is on Jesus. We've, we've got tragedy. We've got trauma in the church. We've had divorce in the church. We've had, we've had people do things that they shouldn't do outside of their marriage in the church. And it's, it's terrible. It should never happen. That was not God's intention for your marriage. Just going to let you know that God's intention for your marriage wasn't divorce. It wasn't an affair. It wasn't abuse. That, that's not his intention for marriage. It's not his intention for your marriage. But sometimes just crap happens. And I, and I can't explain some of that. But what I'm saying is when all of a sudden if you have to go through a transition, and I'm not, I'm not making excuses. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm saying that any one of these life circumstances when, when transition comes, now all of a sudden I am grounded. I am rooted. I am founded in Jesus. Let's go to Revelations 2.4. I just feel we're between two seasons, and I feel like many of us, we're a young church. I believe many of us are, are between the stage of, of, of getting married, having young kids. I believe some of us are even in the stage of having grandkids. And what does it look like for my teenagers to now grow up as adults and move out? We've had a young, lot of people in the church have kids getting married. Now, what's that look like to adjust and figure out what's life now with my spouse without kids. Because for 20-some years, we've been raising kids together, and our identity and a lot of our purpose has been focusing on pouring into these kids. Now what does that look like? It looks different, but it's still you. So what happens is, all of a sudden, if we let that become our identity, if we let this job title, if we let this parent-dad-mom title become our identity, it is part of our purpose, but it's not our identity. My identity is son of a living God. I'm a child of a king. So no matter what comes and goes in my life, like my dad lost his wife of 41 years. Many of you have lost loved ones. So now what's that look like? It looks different. It looks hard. It looks like stuff that I would never want to go through. But in that process, somehow, some way, through that terrible process, somehow, some way, you're getting made stronger. You're getting closer to God. Why? Because you're more dependent on him now more than ever before. We say glory to God, but do we really want to go through it? Many of us know. Many of us hell know. 
I don't know what it's like to lose a child. I'm looking at Bruce here, I, I don't know what that's like. I don't know what it's like to lose a spouse. I hope I never have to. And I can guarantee each one of the people that's been through some of the things I'm talking about right now would actually hope that you never have to do that. But in this process of transition, how do I actually get on the other side? How do I go from, from where we were, what we had, how do, I, how do I pick the puzzle pieces back together to actually get my life back? And I'm going to be really honest with you. The only thing I can say is in the presence of Jesus. Because there's nothing else that will fill that void. There's nothing else that will, that will make you feel better going on an, to an empty bed when you're used to laying next to your spouse. There's nothing that's going to make you feel better, you know, that, that when you pick up that phone and it's ringing, you might think it's that child or that person or you happen to run across that number in your phone, I still have my mom's number programmed in my phone. The only thing that may get us from brokenness and from breakdowns to breakthroughs is actually walking through this transition. It's the only thing, and the only thing in that process that's actually going to catapult us onto the other side is his presence. That's it. That's it. Counselors will help. And I'm, not, I'm, I'm saying that doctors will help. Even at times, medications will help. But the true breakthrough is actually going to come through his presence and the process that you actually don't need that stuff anymore. You may need it in this process. You may need it over here. So we're not against that. I'm actually encouraging it if you need something. But what I'm saying is that in this process of transition, there is actually a transition that God has for you that there is another side. Listen, here, here's the crazy thing. that uh, we, we talk about mountains and valleys. And I'll just be honest with you. It actually sucks to go down through a valley. But it is where the stuff grows. That's where the rivers run. So while you're down there, you're getting nourishment, you're getting drinks, the river's flowing. Revelations 2.4 says, it's one thing I have against you, that you've forgot your first love. So in these transitions, what happens is, it, 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 it happens to, that we just go through this stuff and we start to refocus our attention and our affections on maybe a boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance, job, whatever, and, and then we, we forget about our affection for the Father. And we, why? Because we're distracted. We might be mourning. We might be busy. Our time might be filling because of the demands of this new job. So our, our time might be focused because it's more fun to spend time with my girlfriend than it is to spend time in my word. And I'm not saying those things are wrong. I, I've, I've been there. So, but what this is, is all of a sudden, in this transition, there is breakthrough. In this transition, there is something called a breakthrough, and there's something called a blessing, and there's something called his presence. Let's go to Genesis 22, 32. Genesis 32. There's been these times in the Bible where, where these, these men and women go, go just... Go through a mess. And you see something happen that, that all of a sudden it goes from their head to their heart. And all of a sudden you see this transition. You see this breakthrough happen. You see Saul go from a martyr to the apostle Paul in one encounter. You, you see these things happen. And, and, and here's one here. It's about Jacob. And it says he's wrestling with God. And it starts up verse 22 through 32. It says this. And he arose that night and took his two wives his two female servants and his 11 sons and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them, sent them over the brook and sent over what he had. 
Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he, did, that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go, for the day breaks. But he said, I will not, Jacob says this, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And this man said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? Now, do you recognize that that's capitalized? Why you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Peniel, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrunk, which is one which on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip and the muscle that shrank. Now, now listen, here, here he's wrestling with God, and he's wrestling with this angel, and he says, listen, I am not letting you go unless you bless me. So, so listen, here's this place of time, and it says, well, you've struggled with God and man. You're, you're at this place of brokenness. You're at this place of breakdown. You're going through these struggles. And then all of a sudden, God pops in the picture says, we're going to get this on. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about the cost of covenant. Covenant actually costs you something. Now, Jacob walks with a, a limp for, forever after that. My, my, my mentor, my spiritual father, Leif Hetland, says that he never trusts anybody who doesn't have a limp. And here's why. I, I was in EMT school, and, and our paramedic school is, is two years. It took two years to get fully certified as a paramedic. And you're learning all this crazy stuff, anatomy, physiology. You're learning how the body works. You're learning all the organ systems. So I became an expert in anatomy and physiology. I, I became an expert in knowing how the body worked and what everything could go wrong with the body. I learned everything that could go wrong in labor and delivery. I learned everything that could go wrong with your heart. That's, that's what you're learning. So you're learning all this. So, so here's what happens. I, I end up on my first call. So I'm, I get certified as an EMT basic. I had to do so many hours ride time. I didn't get any calls. I didn't take any runs. So here I am certified. And I, I start at Tip City EMS. And I remember my first call ever was with this, this, this really, like, tough lady named Joanna Pittenger. And, and she's just this tough cookie. And she's probably now in her mid-60s or so. And, and, and I just remember going on my first call. And it was to a bar in town. And this guy was drunk. And he was like swinging on us, trying to fight us. And all of a sudden, this, this little lady who kind of walks like this, she just, she all of a sudden like pile drives him, boom, with her elbow right into the cot. And I was like, ah, we can do that? And then she's got, she's got her elbow like in his neck. She's like, you will not. And she's just yelling at this cat. And I'm like, oh, we get to do this stuff. <laughs> oh, my gosh, I hope I don't get in trouble. This is my first call ever, but we get to do this. So anyway, she's taking care of business, and this guy's, like, trying to jack our jaws. So, so then my very next call is, is we're on this full arrest. This is call number two. And I'm like, we have a full arrest, which means there's no pulse, there's no breathing. We're doing chest compressions. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I don't have a clue what to do. I drove here. That's all I know how to do. So I'm just an EMT at this point. But I had all this book knowledge. I knew everything about the body. And then they're like, hang, I need you to spike a bag, Aaron. And I'm like, spike a bag? What bag? What are you talking about? 
What they wanted me to do is get an IV ready and get the fluids ready. And I'm like, spike a bag? What's a bag? Because that, that was out of my skill set. We didn't learn about that. So here's the thing. I had learned everything up here. I had become an expert with book knowledge. I passed a test that's meant to fail 40% of the people that, flunk at the, that, that take it the first time. So, so here I pass that test, but I get out in the field, and I don't know jack. I'm like this big guy. At that time, I was a power lifter. I'm like this guy that can manhandle people. I know all this stuff, but I can't do diddly. I couldn't even spike a bag. So then they took me back to the station. They taught me all that stuff. But here's the deal. We don't trust anybody with a limp because there's something in this process. There's something in this transition that actually gives me a limp. There's something that takes it from head knowledge and this terrible breakdown and this terrible brokenness to all of a sudden a breakthrough. There's something that, that we walk out of this thing. And when, when Joseph's walking out of those pits and out of these prisons, all of a sudden he's got the fortitude. He's got this, this charisma. He's got this, this perseverance. Even Timothy says, count it all joy, the trials, James, count it all joy, the trials you go through. Because it's building you. It's building something. So then we get to Jacob here. He's wrestling with his angel. He's like, you've struggled with man. You've struggled with God. But because you've defeated it, because you've held on, I'm going to bless you. And then he lets go. But he's always got the limp. See, here's, here's the thing about this transition. It's hard to get through. It's hard. It stinks. This is, this is part one of two weeks here. And this is the transition. Next week's the reconciliation. And this is, we're calling this series Between Two Seasons. And I feel many of us are between two seasons right now. Or maybe just recently we were, or we're getting ready to. I believe like we are on the cusp of a tipping point of what's coming with our breakthrough. But honestly, many of us are just right here. Like, I'll be really, really just blunt with you. I don't have a clue how to lead this church. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm a fireman with a business degree. <laughs> but every day I'm praying, like, Lord, we're having meetings for hours on Friday and more tomorrow. How do we grow? How do we become missional without becoming a business? How do we camp around your presence without becoming an organization? That's where we are. Listen, I, I, want, I want to walk with a limp because I've encountered him face to face. I want to walk with a limp and I want to go where I'm going because I've been through the process. So 11 years ago this month, I was an atheist, and God did something in my heart. He did something that encountered me greater than anything else that had ever done in my life. Listen, one moment in his presence, one wrestling match, one encounter with God will change you in a moment, and you will do more from that one moment in God than you will your whole lifetime of education or anything else. Because what's happening is in those encounters, in that transition, everything goes from here to here. And I would rather have people with heart than people with brains. I'd rather have people who I can journey with, who I can relate to or who can relate to me, than somebody that can just tell me what's right. Because sometimes what's right isn't always practical. I'm not talking the word. I'm just saying I can get counseling advice. Well, you got to do this and this. And are you doing this? Are you exercising? Are you eating the right food? Are you getting enough sleep? Yeah. No. I'm not, but I know Jesus. <laughs> Let me move on here. Let me move on. Let me talk about another transition. Thomas. Jesus had, had just died on the cross, and he, he makes an appearance back. 
And, uh, and the disciples had seen it, but Thomas hadn't. And, and so here's Thomas saying, well, I need to see it. I need to prove it. So he's, he's asking Jesus. He's saying, this is in John. He's asking Jesus. He's saying, let me see. And, and here's the part that just really gets me every time is after that experience, so, so there was transition in time. Jesus had died on the cross, but he wasn't yet ascended to heaven sitting to the, to the right hand of the Father. So, so there's this point in time where he's kind of roaming the earth there before the day of Pentecost. And everybody had seen him, but Thomas hadn't. So it's this moment of transition, and in Thomas's life, it was this moment of transition of, of Thomas. So, and, and I can re recollect like Peter, kind of a similar thing. Peter, Peter was, was really close to Jesus. Peter was one of the three, you know. Peter, Peter was close. But it was this revelation all of a sudden that when Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And they're going and they're exchanging and saying, yeah, I love you. So what he's saying is, yeah, I filio love you. I, I, I love you like a brother and a friend. And he's like, no, do you agape love me? Do you love me unconditionally? Do you love me because I'm Messiah? Yeah, 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 I, I love you like a friend and a brother. No, do you love me unconditionally? And finer, finally, I, just, I can just picture the melting heart. Peter's like, yeah, I love you. So Thomas is the same way. It was this encounter during this transition period in his life. He says... He says this, he says, my Lord, my God. It went from just being teacher and prophet to now my God. My Lord, my God. I felt your nails. I felt your hands. And listen, I can relate to this because I've had those moments. Like, God, how do I get through this? How do I make it through this thing in my life? How do I make it through this circumstance? How do I make it through this transition? I'm called to more. you got to camp around his presence. It's this thing in transition to where you're in that process and all of a sudden he makes himself real to you. All of a sudden he just, he just, he just comes to the table and he comes to, to, the, to the awareness. He comes to life and, he's, and then you get to say, my Lord, my God. In the storm when Jesus is, is in the boat, you know, here they are panicking. They're in this transition of chaos. And all of a sudden Jesus is sleeping in the bottom of the boat comes up and he just teaches them, curse the waves, curse the winds, curse the storm. You can stop it. When, when Lazarus, here, here's, here's the, one of the last ones I'll tell. Lazarus dies. A transition in their life. You know, their friend, their brother, Lazarus, he, he dies. And, and then all of a sudden what happens is they're all blaming Jesus for not being there and not coming sooner when he was sent the message to come heal him. Here's what happened to us. They were trusting on their understanding, not trusting in the beloved. They, 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 here, here's the deal. Here's what I mean by that. We have to have faith that through this transition, through this pivotal point in time, that God is actually doing more than we can see, more than we can ask, more than we can think, more than we can imagine, and he's actually got it under control. But what happens is we want to get busy, busy, busy trying to figure things out and fix things on our own instead of just actually just be still in his presence. Jesus shows up, he's raised from the dead, rest is history. So we get to this place, turn with me to Genesis 17, and uh, the band can come. There's something powerful about the transition, even though we hate it. There's something powerful about changing seasons, even though... We Ohioans hate winter. I, I dislike winter. I love fall. I love football. 
and I love hunting animals and eating them. Love it. But all of a sudden, like January comes, and you know what that tells me? Deer season's over, and now I don't see color for two more months, and I'm, I'm locked up in my house, and it's too cold. Right, that's what it tells me, and everything looks brown. I'm like, how boring. That's when we typically go to Belize or something. So, so here's, here's what happens is the magical thing about God and his seasons is we actually need them all. As much as I dislike winter, did you know that's one of the most powerful times of the year for the, actually to do what it needs to do to produce the harvest in the fall? It, it's crazy that all those dead leaves, all those things are actually working themselves into the ground to actually be the nitrogen and the fertilization and everything else needed for what's happening that comes to life in the spring and harvests in the fall. It, it's amazing that they alternate bean fields because of the dead beans and the stubble that actually gets worked back into the ground to become the nitrogen and the fertilizer for the corn to grow the next year. And they alternate it so it gets good, good crops. So here, here's the, the crazy thing is this. What happens in the winter is the earth freezes and thaws, freezes and thaws. So what's happening is it's kind of doing this. It's kind of like moving and increasing. And so all of the things that spread seeds in the, in the, in the, in the, in the fall, all the grass that grew up tall and all the, the nuts that dropped from the trees and all that stuff, it actually gets planted in the ground. And then in the winter, it shifts. It shifts, works into the ground a quarter inch. And here's what happens is... That seed that was actually in the ground actually splits and is broken so that when the spring comes, the earth warms up to approximately 55 degrees. And when such degree temperature is reached, all of a sudden, a sprout starts to shoot up out of that broken seed. And then it starts to reach the atmosphere of the sun, and it then begins to be watered out of this crazy thing that happened from the winter. The other thing the winter does is it actually kills all the distractions and all the things that are going to eat these things called bugs. My kids told me this fun statistic this week. Did you know if all the bugs were put on a scale in the world and all the people were put on a scale in the world, that bugs would weigh more than humans? So we need winters to kill those bugs, like ticks and mosquitoes and then the other things, the beetles, that actually eat the things that we eat and need and that our ecosystem needs, and that we need for oxygen. It's not just about who likes meat and not. I'm not going there down that trail right now. As much as I want to just give Rachel a hard time right now, I'm not going to. We actually need those things for our ecosystem, for, for photosynthesis, for oxygen that we actually have life from. So it's a beautiful thing that God takes something from brokenness, uses a transition called winter, uses the four seasons that we can have breakthrough in the spring, and then a harvest that we actually need. It's, it's this crazy thing. So in Genesis 17, because of the sake of time, I'm just going to paraphrase from now. But here's, here's this thing. Abraham, a few chapters before 17, gets told, God tells him, you're going to have a son. You're going to have a son. So, so the very next chapter after that, and, and I think that's 11, then 12, I think. Then Sarah says, hey, just, just sleep with the maidservant because God hasn't, hasn't blessed me to be able to have children. So then what happens is Abraham sleeps and then that's, we get Ishmael. So, so then we fast forward to 17. And, and here's in the midst of, of Sarai's just probably depression, 
probably here, I gave my husband up to our maidservant. They made a soul tie. Now I have this, this son that I don't even like or want. And now, and then, she, you know, if you know the story that he made Abraham, she made Abraham send them off. So here we Hagar and Ishmael just being sent off. What would it have looked like actually if Abraham had stepped up to be a, a father and stepped up to be a husband and said, no, that's my boy? Where would Islam, if you, if you don't know this history, the seed of Ishmael became Islam. Islam came from the seed of Ishmael. So what had happened if, if in that time they actually adopted, if, if Sarah, this is what should have happened customary, is that Sarai would have adopted Ishmael as her very own son and helped raise him. But out of jealousy and strife and, and frustration and lack of trust in the father and actually not knowing how to navigate through that transition, she takes things in her own hands, casts Ishmael out, and now we have Islam. So, so here's, here's, let me get back to the point. So God shows up to Abraham in, in, in chapter 17. And he says, you're no longer going to be Abram, you're going to be Abraham. And then it says, it says this, it says that in... Let me get the right one here for you. It's somewhere around 15. He says, now your wife, she's no longer going to be called Sarai. She's going to be called Sarah. And here's what he says to her. Now, there is something about the blessing within the transition. There's something. If we can actually gather ourselves and focus ourselves to get from the breakdown, the brokenness, through the transition, there's breakthrough coming. It, it, may, it may look the same, it may look different, it may be in the same place, it may be in something different, but there's something on the other side of this. But here's what, here's what he says, he says, and I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations, king of peoples shall be from her. Listen, this is, this is wrestling with that encounter. This is the midst of that transition. Listen, God has breakthrough here. Stand with me. God has breakthrough in this place right here, right now. There is something, there is, God doesn't waste time. He's already written your story. He doesn't waste circumstances. He doesn't waste why that happened. He didn't cause it. It doesn't mean he caused it. It doesn't mean he took that person from you. It doesn't mean he took that marriage from you. It doesn't mean he took that parent from you. He, God didn't do that. But in the midst of that, God sets you up right now for this transition that there's breakthrough on the other side. I don't know what the process looks like for each of you. I don't know what those breakdowns and brokennesses are. I don't know what those are. But I know that there's breakthrough. I know there's breakthrough. I know there's breakthrough. I know there's breakthrough. I was praying Friday. So many of us, we want to continue to see more things, more healings, more prophetic words, more this, more that, more manifestations, more gifts, more. And I'll just be honest, I just begin to pray. Say, God, if I never saw another thing, I'm still good. You're still good. If I never see another healing, if I never see another person come to know you, if I never see another transformed life, if I never see anything else, I have seen enough to know you. And that's just, now I want to see that stuff. I want to continue to see stuff. What I'm saying is in this transition, I, I know God is so good. I don't know what it looks like for you because, you know, there's, there's people popping in my head right now in this room. I don't know what that looks like for you, but I know there's something on this other side for you. I know there's breakthrough on this other side. I know there's something really special 
on this other side. I know there's something good. I know there's destiny. I know there's calling. I know there's purpose. I know there's plans for you, plans for a hope, plans for a future. I know that. I don't know how long this transition is for you. I don't want to rush your grieving. I don't want to rush what's happening in that. I don't want to rush your encounters. So this is not a pressure to perform. It's not a pressure to get right so you can get over here. No, we just walk through that day by day. We just walk our way through the process, and God's there. Somewhere in the midst of breakdown and a breakthrough is this transition. God's wanting to take you to the other side. Let me pray for you. God, I just, I thank you. I thank you for the transitions. I thank you for calling us to the heavenlies. I thank you for calling us from glory to glory to glory to glory. Some of us have had to go through valleys, but God, while we're down there, God, I just pray that there'll be just a rain, a river of refreshing. If anybody in here is in a valley right now, they're in the midst of the bottom of the pit of this transition, that there is something there for them, that there is a flower poking up to reach the sun, that there is nutrients, there is food down there, there is water source down there, there is something, there is a river of refreshing down there, so that when they get to the mountaintop, they are better because they went through the valley. God, I pray right now that transitions in life and distractions just go away. The storms in our life just go away and we rest in your presence. We rest in the shalom peace of your presence. Just simply knowing that there's something more. Just simply knowing that there's something on the other side of this transition called a breakthrough. And God, if we can just walk through it. We can't skip over it. That doesn't refine us, God. We can't skip over it. That doesn't, that doesn't build our character, God. But God, you give us the strength and the process to walk through it. You give us the grace to walk through it. You give us the endurance to walk through it, God. And in the end, God, we know we're resting that we're better because of it. We're resting that people's lives and other people going through similar situations will be forever changed because they saw us get through it. That this testimony, this transition testimony becomes a prophetic word and lives out in destiny. God, we just thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We bless you. We bless you, Father. We bless you, Father. We don't know what some of this looks like, but we bless you, Father. We bless you, Father. You're so good. 